Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So when God said to Jacob in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me, God was identifying himself with a very important time of prayer in Jacob's life. When God spoke of that prayer experience, when Jacob had earnestly prayed to God, and then when God said, I'm the God where you did that, in verse 13, Jacob knew who that was, who had come to him. Jacob knew God by prayer, and Jacob recognized who God was when God said to him, oh, Jacob, I'm the one you prayed to back there in Bethel. Bethel, I know who's ever heard of Bethel before? Jacob named it. See, knowing God by a time of prayer and recognizing God when God referred to that prayer is exactly what happened in the life of Nathaniel. Because at the end of John 1, it's an unusual thing that seems to be like, boy, you know, John 1, we're talking about, you know, in the beginning, you know, with a statement, in the beginning there was God and, and, he, and there was the Word and he was, God was the Word and, and you know, all these magnificent statements, God, the Word became flesh and then there was John who announced him and then there were the Jews who rejected him and then there was a few that had received him and they became the sons of God and you have this history going on in John 1 and all of a sudden you come to this little private conversation that takes place with Philip in verse 45, Philip findeth Nathaniel, Philip and Nathaniel. And saith unto him, Philip says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, Nazareth. Okay, well, anyway, that's what happened. The son of Joseph. And Nathanael says, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Nazareth? It's like saying uh, Tijuana. <laughs> any good thing come out of Tijuana? Anyway. Uh, but Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Just come and see. See for yourself. Those are beautiful words. Come and see. Never forget when I was in the south of France in uh, Nice. I would find the evangelical church. Very hard to find. Go find, you know, there's a lot of, lot of other churches and so forth. But anyway, find this little church, you know, walking up this hill and looking, around, you know, from, from door to door. Where is this church, you know? And there was the sign of the little church. It was just there. You had to walk in between houses there. You know what the sign says? Viennez voir. That was the name of the sign. Come and see. It's just, that was the name of the church. Come and see. <laughs> and I did. It was a wonderful experience. But anyway, this is what Philip said to Nathaniel. Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathaniel shocked. Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? You know, from where do you know me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. See? 
And Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art God the Son. Thou art the King of Israel. So Philip told Nathanael they found God who had become the Messiah, Moses wrote and the Moses the prophecy write about. And Nathanael didn't believe him. He didn't believe Philip. Nathanael but accepted his uh, come and see challenge. And when the Lord Jesus Christ saw Nathanael, he said, Nathanael, oh, there's an Israelite, no, no guile. And Nathanael asked him, how, how do you know me? And he said, the fig tree, the fig tree. And Jacob, how do you know me? Bethel, Bethel. Why did Nathanael come off with this, your God and the king of Israel? Because under the fig tree, Nathanael was obviously praying to God, the king of Israel. And God identified himself with that time of prayer in Nathanael's life. That's the way it's going to be with us. God will identify himself to us. When we all get to heaven, God's going to say, oh, you know what? I'm the one that you prayed to when you were in that place. You were under that fig tree. I'm the one that you trusted in that situation. I'm the one that you dedicated yourself to when you were there or wherever you were. And we'll know God by the series of recognitions when he'll say to us, I'm the God of that time, of your Bethel experience, when you prayed to me in your life, and you relied on me at that time, and you dedicated yourself to me at that other time in your life. It's just like, you know, we all have these, well, I don't know if we do anymore, but anyway, I do. I all have these picture albums, you know, picture albums. And you sit down with the family, and you go through the picture album, and you oh, yeah, look at that memory, you know, yeah, that's the time you put snow down my back, you know, or something like that, you know. <laughs> and we remember God, oh, no, remember God, we remember the family and by the experiences that we see in his pictures. That's the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. You see, because those pictures represent personal experiences. No one else has, very personal, and that forms the basis for the relationship. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says, It's those personal experiences in our lives when we earnestly prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ, those personal experiences, when we earnestly relied on him, when we earnestly dedicated ourselves to him, that makes up our claim that we know God. That makes up our claim that we know God and have eternal life, as the Lord said in John 17, 3. This is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. But if a person has no personal experience of ever earnestly praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, has no personal experience of ever earnestly relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, no personal experience of ever earnestly dedicating his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he may have perfect doctrine, he may have perfect beliefs, but he doesn't personally know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he doesn't have eternal life because the Lord said in Matthew 7, 23, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me. So when God said to Jacob in verse 13 here, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest a vow unto me, God was identifying himself with a personal experience in Jacob's life, and that was the basis of the relationship between Jacob and God. That's why it's important for us to make our lives lives of prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Make our lives lives of relying on the Lord Jesus Christ and of dedicating ourselves to him. But what's wonderful to see in this passage here is Jacob now calling his wives, uh, Rachel and Leah, and involving them in this important life decision. See, I know there was, there was really no way 
that Jacob could leave without the agreement of his wives. But the way that we see here, the way that Jacob just 100% opens up his heart to his wives, this is precious. This is a precious part of Scripture here, the way he opens up his heart. I mean, it's actually, Jacob, we get more details in his explanation to his wives of what happened in the dream of what God said to him, what he saw in his dream. We get more details, and we learn than in the short summary verse before. See, the Bible does that. I mean, it informs us of many more details from when Jacob talked to his wives in verses 11 to 13. In other words, he said, and the angel, and here, look at the details. The angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle, ring strikes back and gristled, for I have seen all they have been doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest to vow unto me. Now arise, get thee up from this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. All those details in his explanation to his wife's in verses 11 through 13, as compared to the short little description we have in verse 3, and the Lord said unto Jacob, return to the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, I'll be with thee. Why does the Bible do that? Why does the Bible show us all the details from what Jacob told his wives in verses 11 through 13, as opposed to the short little description in verse 3, to show us that Jacob had embraced the word together? Together, he had embraced that word in 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, the wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. What's so hard for some men to do is to embrace, when they get married, the simple word together, that they're with their wife together. And that so often is the case because the husband was raised in a home where the father did not embrace the word together with his mother, with his, the man's mother. But what we see in verses 11 through 13 is Jacob, when it came, comes to his wives, he embraces the word together. And Jacob understood that a man is in life together with his wife, where they share something which God calls the grace of life. And when it comes to his wife, in order for a husband to embrace the word together, he has to open his heart to her and let her in on his innermost thoughts and what his heart and his mind is being disturbed with and tossed about with, as he's doing here, what do we see Jacob doing here? And so what we see in verses 11 through 13 is Jacob's now opening wide open his heart and drawing Rachel and Leah into his heart. That's not easy for a husband to do. That's not easy for a husband to do. A husband has to be willing to make himself vulnerable to his wife to do this. A husband has to put himself in the position where his wife can really hurt him. And that's not easy. And that's was not easy for Jacob to do either. Because Jacob knew that Rachel and Leah could have hurt him by saying, listen, buster, that's our father you're talking about. Okay, and go tell your story to the sheep because these lambs are not buying your story. You know, that could hurt him if they said that. So when we read in verses 11 through 13 what he did, we just look at Jacob, we say, bravo, Jacob, great man, for not pushing your way through your wives or trying to manipulate your wives. See, what we see here in Jacob is he does not try to 
push his wives into a passive decision to agree with him. You know, he didn't take this hard declaration to his wives where, he, you know, he was going to say, well, you know, I'm going and here are the reasons and, and now I'm going, if you want to come, fine, let's go, come with me. He did, that would be hard. He didn't do that. And what we see here is he didn't try to manipulate his wives to agree with him. You know, he didn't try to manipulate his wives by instilling fear in them, by saying, you know, I'm going and if you stay here, well, you know, Hope it goes okay for you because you're going to be all alone. No one's going to be here to take care of you. And Laban's going to reduce you to poverty, your father. But he didn't do that, manipulation. But what we see here is Jacob openly explaining the situation to his wives and then trusting God to make his wives agree with him to leave their homeland. See, Jacob trusted God for his wives to do something they had never done before, leave their father and leave their homeland. And when Jacob did that, Jacob honored his wives. And he followed the command in the first Peter 3, 7. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Only in this case it was the wives, but that's another problem. <laughs> and the beauty of the approach that Jacob took was that down the road of life, they could look back, all of them could look back and say, the decision, well, they wouldn't say, they would not say, the decision to leave was a life decision that was made because I was pushed into it. They would not say, the decision to leave was a life decision that I made because I was manipulated into it. But the beauty of the approach that Jacob has taken here was that down the road of life, they could look back and say, you know what? The decision to leave was a life decision that we made together under the direction of God. That's the goal for every marriage. As a husband and wife travel on down the road of life together, that they'll be able to say for each life decision, that decision was a life decision that we made together under the direction of God. Now, when we are faced with needing to have someone agree with us, which he was, <laughs> trusting God is to not be pushy. Trusting God is to not be manipulative. Trusting God is to openly explain the situation and depend on God to bring an agreement. Okay? This is the picture of a loving husband with his, with his wives here. Okay. And for Jacob to lay his case out before his wives and put his future in their hands meant that Jacob had to trust God to work in the hearts of his wives. And we know from verse 16 that God did work in the heart of his wives. So when Jacob trusted God to make his wives willing to leave, that pleased God. That made God happy. And when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his wife to be at peace with him. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing when a husband trusts the Lord to make he and his wife of one heart and of one mind as the husband opens his heart to his wife. It's a wonderful thing to see when God does this for a husband and wife. This is what God promises he's going to do for Israel, for the Jewish people in Jeremiah 32, 39, when he says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. So this is what God did for Jacob and Rachel and Leah when it came to the decision to leave. God gave them one heart, one way, one mind, and that was the best confirmation that Jacob could have that he was in the will of God. 
When he saw that God had given Rachel and Leah the same heart and mind, believe that confirmed to Jacob he was in the will of God. And then we read in verse 6, we read these words, when he said, and you know that with all my heart I've served your father. Boy, what a statement. (laughs) With all my power, I mean to say. With all my power. Boy, what a statement. The love that Jacob had for Rachel caused Jacob to serve Laban with all his power. I mean, if Jacob, with all his power, because of the strong love that he had for Rachel, he served Laban for that, would to God that we had the same love for the Lord Jesus Christ that Jacob had for Rachel? So that verse 6 could be said of us, that with all of our power, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, now what happens? Jacob makes his passionate, open-heart presentation to Rachel and Leah, and then he stops in verse 13, and he waits for their reply. He says, ladies, do you have anything to say? What a question. (laughs) All right, so at the end of verse 13, we stop, and we see if the ladies do have anything to say, and boy, do they have something to say. In fact, they have plenty to say, too much, but anyway, because up until this point, we haven't heard about anything about what Rachel and Leah thought about what their father had done. We haven't heard that. And now we stand back because Rachel and Leah have got the floor and they're about to let loose and let their feelings be known. So the first words we read in verse 14 are, and Rachel and Leah answered. Now, before we get into what they actually said, that's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing in verse 14. Why? Am I really reading this? Does this really say, and Rachel and Leah answered? Oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm confused. Aren't these the two sisters that were at each other's throats? Aren't these the two sisters that hate each other? They were just about going to kill each other? Is this the same Rachel and Leah that were fighting each other? And do we see them here now in agreement with each other? Hmm, that's amazing. Rachel and Leah are agreeing, and they have one voice. Boy, that's nice. You know, there's nothing like a common problem to bring warring parties together. <laughs> Rachel and Leah realized that their father, Laban, was against them. That was a common problem. They were brought together by their common problem. And they have abandoned being against each other, and they're now united in their opposition against their father. You know, if Christians would realize that we have a common enemy, the devil, the devil, then we would abandon being against each other, and we'd be stop fighting each other. We'd unite together. I mean, what is important for believers is not what divides us, but what's important is what unites us. When we look at other believers, we have a choice. We can look at other believers and say, oh, I see those differences. Oh, they don't worship the same way. Mm. No, I don't agree with that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let me just, no. Yeah, we will let that divide us. Or we can look at what we agree on and be united. You know, people ask me, well, you know, what denomination are you? You know, I was wondering, what's your denomination, you know? And my reply is, I'm of the denomination that believes that the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who became a man, died for our sins. That's my denomination. So now the ladies speak, and boy, do they have some complaints. They've got some complaints, three of them actually. So here we go, verse 14. Rachel, they answered and said, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? So their first complaint in verse 14 is summed up in the word yet in verse 14. Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us. See, the word yet means I've been waiting, you know, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. 
So what we see here with Rachel and Leah is that, um, well, first of all, they're, they're pretty hard on their father. And they're hard on their father because they say, our father has been hard-hearted to us. He's not given us anything. He didn't give them, he gave nothing when he married us away. And then Rachel and Leah thought, well, you know, maybe the heart of our father is going to be softened up a little bit when the little grandchildren come. Then that'll soften them up. Then he'll, he'll start giving us stuff. And so the grandchildren come and Laban gives nothing. So the word yet, they're saying, we're done. Let's go. It's a waste of time to wait for Laban to give something to us. So, okay. So they have taken this very personally. They're angry because they both realize their father is not going to give them an inheritance, either then or anytime. And Rachel and Leah have finally come to the conclusion that there's no more benefit, as far as you see anything, to stay there with their father, with their own people. And they've become tired of their own people. And um, they're ready to forget their own people. And they become tired of their father. They're ready to forget their father's house. Now, if we just freeze that picture of Rachel and Leah there, ready to leave, we can see a picture there of what happens to the Jewish person who says no to their own Jewish family that forbids them to believe into the Lord Jesus Christ and what it says in Psalm 45, 10 through 11. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. That's a call from King Jesus to a Jewish person who's sort of stuck. Let me shut the door. Who's sort of stuck, a Jewish person who's stuck in between. He's in between words, conflicting words here. This Jewish person is in between the conflicting words because listening to the Lord or listening to the Jewish family that forbids them to come to King Jesus. Oftentimes, rabbis tell me, they say, you need to remember your people who died rather than convert to Christianity. You need to remember your father, your grandfather, who protested against Christianity. And this verse is very, very important because it gave to me specific directions. And there are directions in these verses in Psalm 45, 10 through 11. First, Psalm 45, 10, really, to hearken. Hearken. This is hearken, O daughter. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's speaking in the Bible. It's a fundamental decision as to who to listen to. Second, this is in Psalm 45, 10, consider. What do they have? Consider. What are they, what are they offering? Those who reject the Lord Jesus. What do they got? a religion, ancient traditions, a community of other rejectors of the Lord Jesus. Consider how they do not have eternal life, as Peter said in John six sixty eight. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And then after deciding to follow the Lord Jesus, the next word in instruction is incline, incline the ear. The first step is to hearken. That means to hear it out. The incline the ear is different. That's a commitment to only listen to the Lord Jesus. And then, to not be pulled back, the next instruction is forget. Forget thine own people in thy father's house. A 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m. This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.